Well, good morning, Seacoast. Anybody glad to be in the house of God today? Come on, I am so excited to be worshiping with you. Uh, better is one day in his courts and a thousand elsewhere. And I just know God has great things in store for us. I want to welcome all of you who are here in Mount Pleasant. I want to welcome all of our campuses as well, wherever you might be watching. I know in Asheville and Greenville, you woke up this morning with a fresh new coat of snow on the ground, and uh, some of you may be joining us online uh, where you normally aren't, but we're glad you're here. About half of our church continues to join us online, and so just know that we value you. We're so grateful that you've continued to be a part of this, uh, whether you're in your living room or working out, wherever you might be, uh, we're, we're grateful for you. I get to introduce you to a friend today, and I love getting a chance to do that here at Seacoast. Some of you met uh, Pastor Holly and Philip Wagner. They pastor Oasis Church in LA. They did. They transitioned it about a year and a half ago, but they planted a phenomenal church in Los Angeles, California. How many agree Los Angeles needs some Jesus, right? Uh, needs some Jesus. We can love Los Angeles and recognize they need some Jesus, and they have been bringing Jesus faithfully for, uh, was it 84 when you guys planted the church? So uh, over 35 years and just incredible things that God has done through uh, Philip and Holly Wagner. They were a part of our marriage conference a few years ago. Some of you may have met them uh, during that, but just incredible leaders. They serve on the lead team for the ARC, the Association of Related Churches that we're all a part of, uh, planning churches. Uh, Holly is also an author. She's written several books. I love about them, their, their women's ministry at Oasis was called, what, God Chicks? God, I just love that, God Chicks, which is so, so cool. Uh, so she's written several books. The most recent, it's called Find Your Brave. Uh, and it's courage to stand strong when the waves crash in, something that we can all use during this season. And she's going to share some of her story uh, with us today. She's got an incredible word. Would you guys, I mean, we're in the South, right? We're known for hospitality. So would you help this California girl, Holly Wagner, feel welcome? Would you stand to your feet and welcome her as she joins us this weekend? people. <laughs> you know, LA, we haven't really been able to do this. This is awesome. And I'm just going to look at your faces, half of them anyways. It's awesome. Thanks for having me. If nothing for this, it's like so good for my soul to be worshiping with the, the people of God. So thank you. I love uh, Josh and Lisa. Uh, they became my people. And um, love them, and Greg and Debbie, you know, the Surratt family, really dear to Philip and I. So that means you're family already. I'm, so I'm going to get in your business, because that's what family does, right? Um, as Josh mentioned, I've uh, been married for a thousand years as well to Philip. We pastored Oasis Church for a lot of years. I have two grown children, um, my son, Jordan, and my daughter, Paris. And my daughter, Paris, is my favorite, because she's given me grandchildren, so that's how that works. Um, so if you're wrestling with young kids right now, let me just say, hang in there, because the reward of not killing your kids is grandchildren. It's the, it's the best thing ever. So I love it. Uh, and both of my kids played basketball uh, growing up, and then they played it in, all through high school, and I loved it. I loved going to basketball games. Mainly, uh, it was indoors. That's always helpful. Uh, and I loved yelling at the referees. Because come on, they're all blind, and they all need help from the mamas and the daddies in the stands. Is that right? Yes, right? Yeah. So, uh, and I was very loud and vocal. Um, now, for my daughter's senior year, she decided to also try something different, so she began to run cross-country. 
And when she told me she was going to run cross-country, I just thought, okay, first of all, that sounds really boring, like for a spectator, right? Because what are you going to do? Like, yeah, and there they're off. So cross-country is run, and if you, some of you perhaps know that, it's about a 5K, and it's run outdoors, you know, through the brush and all that. So she decided to do this. Well, on one particular race, uh, I'm standing at the finish line waiting because this is where, you know, that's one place you can be. So I'm at the finish line. She crosses the finish line and she's sobbing. And so she, I'm like, Paris, what's the matter? And so she begins to tell me the story. And she told me that while she had been running the race, she had come upon a pretty isolated part of the trail and there was a runner who had fallen and was in the middle of the trail. And so she bends down to help this girl. And first the girl says, why are you stopping? You're not on my team. Paris goes, it doesn't matter whose team I'm on. We're both runners. So she's trying to figure out how to help this girl because her eyes are kind of rolling around. And, and then she hears another runner coming up. And she, Paris is thinking this other runner is going to also help. But the other runner just jumps over both of them and keeps on going. And uh, so then, you know, Paris is like, whatever. So she's trying to figure out what to do. So she gets, picks up this girl and is trying to carry her kind of in a fireman's hold and and walks a little bit. And then Paris's coach happened to be the coach supervising the next part of the trail. And so he sees Paris struggling with this girl. So he gets down there and he gets to her and he says, you know, Paris, I think she's really hurt. I'll be here. I'll stay here with her. You get to the finish line and send help. And so that's what she had done. She got to the finish line, told me, we told the paramedics because they're always there at every race. They took a stretcher and went to get that girl. And I guess she had hit her head. And so it was a pretty serious injury. And so then in another race that Paris was running, she came upon a narrow part of the trail and someone tried to pass her. And in order to pass her, they just punched Paris in the stomach. And then in another race, it was run in about 105 degrees. So it was really hot. And by the time Paris got to the finish line, she just threw up everywhere. And so I'm thinking, hmm, this may not be such a boring sport after all, right? Well, I was very wrong about that. I mean, because you just never know what's going to happen in a race. And then I started thinking kind of like life, right? And certainly like life in the last 14 months, right? Remember, remember New Year's Eve 2019? We were, whew, 2020 is going to be an amazing year. Here we go, right? And then bam. And we all had to navigate some pretty intense moments. Right? I mean, the COVID-19, which has certainly seemed to be relentless, and then all of the emotions involved with the amplification and the continued pain of racial injustice, and then an incredibly divisive election season. And then there's just been personal challenges, right? Personal heartbreaks that many of you have probably suffered. I mean, I have. So yeah, there are the, the big global situations. But then there are the personal losses, whether it was a job or financial or health or divorce. Many, many young people didn't get to graduate or go to prom. And, and then there's personal struggles. You know, people trying to homeschool kids and trying to work at the same time or try to stay married. Jeez, during quarantine. Ah, can I just say, just there's such a thing as too much togetherness. There just is, right? Or just people d- dealing with sickness. I mean, I'm, I'm walking with a couple of people through cancer, with cancer right now. And so, you know, just like my daughter getting punched in the stomach this year, you know, this past year certainly felt like one punch after another, hasn't it? Just hard to catch your breath. 
And also, just like she stopped to help that fallen runner, I'd like to suggest that our journey will always include noticing and stopping to help someone else. Always. Our journey is never just about us. So let me just ask you, how you doing? How you doing really? How you doing really? Everybody just take a breath behind your mask. Go ahead, take that breath. Just take a breath. You know, the Christian race, the Christian journey, rather, is a race. It is a journey. It, it involves movement. It involves action and stops and starts and detours and delays and pain and heartbreak. And it involves the unknown. God called Abraham to leave his past life in a city called Ur at the age of 75 and embarked on an unknown journey. And then God called Moses from a burning bush and began a new phase of his life when he was 80. And in each of these journeys, they encountered tremendous difficulties. But let me just encourage you, you're actually doing better than you think you are. God is still God. He's still on the throne. He's still with you. He's still present. You might have been knocked down, but you're getting back up. Still with you. His spirit's still in us. But how do we navigate? How do we navigate the hard moments? How do we navigate the punch in the stomach? How do we navigate the detours and twists and turns? Well, the first thing I think that we all need to do, if we're going to navigate this journey that God's entrusted us with, is we have to build our strength. Okay, right now, if you know the person next to you, feel their arms and go, yep, you better get started. All right, so there are a few different kinds of strength that I'm talking about. The first uh, is we have to have the strength to finish, to finish what we've started. In Judges 8, 4, there's this part of this verse that says this. It says, faint yet pursuing, or some translations say exhausted yet pursuing. And that phrase is used to describe the condition of the 300 men assigned by God to Gideon to fight Israel's battles for her. The enemy was being defeated. The enemy was being put to flight. And in order to capture them, Gideon's little army, they were hungry and they were tired, but they had no choice but to continue pursuit. They could smell victory. They could smell it. And so they were highly motivated to carry on. They were willing to, to give up a lot of things so that they could press the battle to the gates. And Isaiah 28, 6 says that God becomes a source of strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Now, the gate symbolizes the finish line. It's like taking something to the end. And I'm just suggesting, I think there are times in our life when we need a little bit of Gideon's mentality. I mean, sometimes we're exhausted, but victory's in sight. Maybe we've lost 40 pounds on the way to 50. We are faint yet pursuing. Or maybe we've finished three years out of four years of medical school. We're exhausted, but pursuing. Or maybe your toddler only wets the bed one night out of seven. Yay! You're exhausted, yet pursuing. Having the strength to finish. So what kind of strength is he talking about? Proverbs 31, 17 says, She girds herself with strength, spiritual strength, mental and physical fitness for her God-given task and makes her arms strong and firm. And then Proverbs 24, 5 says, A wise man is strong, spiritually, mentally, and physically. A man of knowledge strengthens his power. Okay, we all know that there is a strength that comes from God. He is our strength when we feel weak. He shows up in strength when we're at our weakest. However, 
The type of strength that these verses is talking about is the strength that we ourselves get to build. The strength doesn't descend from a cloud. The strength grows in us as we do a few things. And I just know that if we're going to get through whatever God's asked us to get through, if we're going to navigate the journey that we've been entrusted with, we're going to have to build some strength, physical strength, mental strength, spiritual strength. All right, let's just take a moment and talk about physical strength. 16 years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I knew that I needed to make some changes. I decided that I wanted to get healthy. I mean, nothing like a cancer diagnosis to wake you up a little bit. And so I read dozens of books about health. I made changes so that I could be you know, the fittest I could be. And so let me just ask you, are you taking care of the one and only body that God has trusted you with to run the race he's assigned you to run? We've been given one body to navigate the storms of life, the seasons of life. And so I'm just thinking we need to do our best to keep it strong. And as I went through that cancer journey, I realized I have responsibility. There are certain things I can do to make myself stronger. I can exercise. I never feel like it. Let me just say that. I can control what goes in my mouth, right? There are certain things I can do to build strength in my body. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, isn't it obvious that all runners on the racetrack keep on running to win, but only one receives the victor's prize? Yet each one of you must run the race to be victorious. A true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. But we run our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. For that reason, I don't, just, I don't run just for exercise or box like one throwing aimless punches, but I train like a champion athlete. I subdue my body and get it under my control so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself won't be disqualified. Now, Paul right here, he is comparing himself to the runners and contestants in something called the Isthmian Games, which were well known by the Corinthians. And those competing in those games, they were on very strict diets and exercised rigorously. And they took control over the desires of their bodies. And they did it all to obtain a prize that would perish, that little laurel wreath on their head. And so Paul is saying, hey, Christianity is not a race that only one person gets to win. We all can. We're all living our race, not to get this award that will perish, but to hear Jesus say, well done, well done. So I'm just saying, we've been entrusted with this moment in history, like it or not. So we're going to need the strength, the physical strength, to actually navigate it. Okay, so physical strength is important. And then we were challenged to actually have mental strength. Several years ago, I went back to school to get my master's degree, you know, just trying to keep my brain working. And, and I've already discovered that just increasing my Mental strength has broadened my thinking, which has actually allowed me to tap into different levels of creativity and think bigger. But let me just say, maybe school is not your thing. No problem. No problem. Find another way to increase mental strength. How about, here's one way. How about read a book by someone that you don't agree with or that would see the world in a very different, from a very different point of view? Or maybe get to know a person from a different culture, or perhaps ask questions, or take a writing class, or a business class, or an art class. I mean, the list is endless. 
But you know, mental strength doesn't just stop there. It consists of another layer, our emotions and how we, our emotions and how we handle them in the midst of challenges. Man, um, let me just ask you, do you control your emotions or do they lead you? Is courage being enlarged in you or is fear? <laughs> Yay. Do you struggle with jealousy or can you rest in the security of who God says you are? What's being enlarged in you, love or hate, peace or chaos, joy or sorrow? How about anger? Can you control your anger? I have to be honest. I've been very angry in the last 12 to 14 months. Now, there is a way the Bible tells us to be angry and not sin. It describes it as righteous anger. You know, Jesus turned over the tables of those who were perverting God's way. So it's okay to turn over the tables of someone's thinking. But still the goal has to be to lead them to encounter the love of Jesus, not let our anger cause damage. And to be honest, I'm pretty sure I crossed that line a few times. And I know nobody here did, because this is holy people. See, the Apostle Paul tells us that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. I mean, it feels like it. But we have an unseen enemy. And Jesus told us that that enemy would do his best to kill, steal, and destroy. And right now, the enemy is unleashing his fury because he knows his days are numbered. So don't let anger at people keep you from focusing on the journey that God has for you, which is one of abundant life. So we can't get distracted by all of the noise and forget the mission, why we're here. And one of the greatest challenges during a difficult season is to manage our emotions. Mental strength. You know, emotions are an incredible gift, but let's don't let them lead us off of the Jesus path. And then he challenges us with strength to grow our spiritual strength. And in talking about spiritual strength, Peter gives a really great description of what that looks like in 2 Peter 1 verse 5, he says, don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet, no day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our master Jesus. I actually love this picture, this description of spiritual strength because it, it's not mystical. It's so practical. It's saying spiritual strength comes from alert discipline. Okay, discipline is not a glamorous word at all. At all. Nobody puts that on a t-shirt or a necklace, right? Or a refrigerator magnet. Right? It's not a glamorous word, but I just know if we're going to develop spiritual strength or part of spiritual strength is that discipline. It takes discipline to pray. It takes discipline to read your word. It takes discipline to forgive someone, right? Discipline. And for me, honestly, I'm the, I'm the doer. You know, I'm the type A, I'm the make it happen kind of girl. And so for me, sometimes discipline it takes discipline to be still. Anybody else like me? Just the discipline to be still. And then in describing spiritual strength, it talks about patience. It says passionate patience. It's not passive. There's this expectancy to that. 
And the truth is patience is only practiced in a situation that we think should be speeded up. Right? I've never had to be patient during a massage, ever. I've never had to be, my husband has never had to be patient waiting for a ball game to end. No, 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 no. You know, Romans 8, 24 says, waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We're enlarged in the waiting. But I've seen people in such a hurry, in such a hurry to be married, that instead of waiting for one that God has, they settle for one that'll do. I've seen people move to a different place because they no longer wanted to be patient and wait for what God had promised them here, and here had always been a part of destiny. And then some of us, you know, we give God a time limit in which to perform, and when our expectations aren't met, we walk away. Patience. I don't have the answer to how long this virus will be affecting our daily life. I mean, like you, I just want it gone. And sometimes my lack of patience comes out as frustration, comes out as anger, comes out as just feeling overwhelmed. Anybody else? So can we just trust God? Because patience is what builds our spiritual muscles. I mean, I want to know the plan. As a leader, I know how important it is to plan and to share a plan with those I'm leading. But in this season, I couldn't have one. And if I did, it kept changing anyway. So I've had to be comfortable in the mystery. I don't like, I don't like waiting for anything. I don't even like to wait for you to finish your sentences. <laughs> it's not a good quality. Patience. And then another part of that spiritual strength is wonder. Wonder. That, that childlike wonder, it's a spiritual strength. And so this season, I could see myself getting so bitter and cynical and frustrated. And so I had to determine to find that wonder. I remember going for walks in my neighborhood and I just go, wow, nice tree, God. Just like little things, finding something to have that wonder about. I don't know what that would be for you, but don't lose that. Because the Bible describes that as spiritual strength. Then it says warm friendliness, generous love, not just loving when it's convenient, but when it's hard. Strength. If we're going to navigate the season, we're going to have to have that kind of strength. Physical strength, mental strength, spiritual strength. And then the last quality I'm going to talk about is we're going to navigate the journey with all of its twists and turns we're going to have to determine to be grateful. Determine to be grateful. Now, everyone wants to be grateful. I mean, who wants to be ungrateful? But the challenge is, what's your plan? Right, what's, what's our plan to become a more grateful person? How do you do that? Because nobody just drifts into gratitude. See, I think we have this problem when it comes to gratitude. We say thank you when someone does something for us, or thank you when we're given a gift, and we should. But if we start to think that we'll be grateful to the extent that we receive things or the more good things happen to us, then gratitude becomes a result of our circumstances. And the truth is gratitude is a decision of the heart, not a product of our circumstances. Because have you ever noticed that two people can be in the same job, can be in the same church? can be in the same long line at the coffee shop and one person is grumbling and the other person's just happy. Maybe it's because what some people see is their right. Someone else sees as a gift. You know, Paul teaches us that gratitude is the will of God. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. See, a thankful heart is more than just a good idea. It's the will of God for his people. So many times people are wondering, what's God's will for my life? And as a pastor, that was probably one of the number one questions I got asked for decades. What is God's will for my life? Well, the first step, be grateful. When you're grateful, you automatically step into God's will. Turn to the person next to you and just say, thank you. Look, right then, you were in God's will. Doesn't it feel good? (laughs) I don't know what would help you be grateful. Maybe it's maintaining a gratitude journal before you wake up in the morning and put your feet on the floor. Think of one thing that you can be thankful for. I don't know. But in our house, we have this jar. And my husband put it in our kitchen during a very difficult season in our, our life. It was about four years ago. And it was probably the hardest season in my life, certainly the hardest season in ministry. And that season started with my, my father dying suddenly. He fell and hit his head and had a brain bleed. And I was very well loved by my dad. And I am aware of what a gift and a blessing it is. I was told every day by my dad that I was loved. Every dream I had, he encouraged. I was very grateful for my dad, and I was grieving the loss of my father. And then my husband, his identity got stolen. And they kind of hacked through his Gmail account into our bank account and stole our savings account. And the FBI got involved in all of that. But how it was done, the bank wasn't liable. So we didn't get that back. So I'm grieving the loss of my dad and then processing this financial loss. And then my husband gets diagnosed with cancer. And so we're reeling from that. And the treatment that he had was so brutal. Ultimately, it just destroyed his immune system. And so then he gets shingles, which is like, you know, this nerve disorder, and it came because of his immune system. And the doctor said it was the worst case of shingles he had ever seen. And Philip couldn't really function or walk for about six months. So it's brutal. And so I'm doing my best to love my husband and be the wife and take care of and kind and lead at church and lead people and encourage people. And do you know what? I'm pretty sure I was not 100% successful on either one of those. And then in the middle of this, my daughter makes one of the most painful decisions. So I'm I'm processing the pain of all of that. And then there were some people in my world, people to whom I had shown grace when they were a mess. And now I needed some of that grace back and instead I got stabbed in the back. So now I'm just dealing with the betrayal of people who've been close to me. And so I found myself withdrawing. I'm the, I'm the biggest extrovert in the room. Like I, I touch people, I hug people, I talk to people. I'm a people person. And in this season, I found myself way more comfortable just sitting on the couch and, you know, binging one more show on Netflix. And then not there's, there's anything wrong with watching television. But I was using it as an isolation. And I could sense myself getting bitter. And it wasn't just like a root of bitterness. It was the whole flame and bush. It's like bitter and very cynical. 
So it was in this season when my husband brings this jar in the kitchen. He says, okay, Holly, every morning we're going to come down here and we're going to write one thing that we're thankful for and we're going to put it in this jar. I was like, no, we're not. You go ahead. So this is what we're going to do. See, my husband is the Christian. Every marriage should have at least one, right? He's it. This is what we're going to do. And then he gets really colorful post-it notes thinking that's going to make it more fun for me. So I come down on the first day and I have to do it because he's going to count. He's that guy. So I'm standing there and you know, I got nothing. I got nothing. And then I'm like, okay, coffee. Anybody else thankful for coffee? Right? And so probably for about four days, all I could think of was coffee. That's it. And then I looked up and there was sunshine. I'm like, okay, sunshine. As if that's an unusual occurrence in Southern California. And then eventually it became my home and my family. But let me just tell you, I never felt it. It was always a decision of my will. Making the decision to be grateful. And then something switched. After a few weeks of doing that, something switched in me. See, the Apostle Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't say for the circumstance. And when he was writing this, he was in prison. So it wasn't very good circumstances. He just said, no matter where you are, find something that you can be grateful for. There's a man named Dr. Dale Robbins, and he wrote this. He said, I used to think people complained because they had a lot of problems. But I've come to realize that they have problems because they complain. See, complaining doesn't change anything. Complaining doesn't make situations better. It just amplifies frustration. It spreads discontent and discord. Complaining makes us miserable. David put it this way in Psalm 77. He said, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. So I got challenged. Maybe the reason I was feeling so overwhelmed by life is because I was spending way too much time complaining rather than being grateful. If we're going to get through this season, if we're going to get through navigating this journey, every twist and turn and hard moment, we have to make the decision to be grateful. Let me just encourage you, don't postpone gratitude. Don't wait till you get more stuff or till life looks like you want it to look. Make the decision to be grateful now. So for me, I also, in this season, made a list of the things I most often complain about. Because remember, I was complaining about everything. And I flipped it and found something to be grateful for. And then here's my list. You can come up with yours, but here's mine. So I'm grateful for the traffic I'm driving in because it means I have a car. I'm grateful for the spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I can walk. I'm grateful for a bad hair day because it means I have hair. I'm grateful for my electric bill and my water bill because it means I can get water by turning on a faucet and electricity by flipping a switch. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for jet lag 
because it means I have places to go and friends to see who are worth seeing. (laughs) I'm grateful for scary, feel like throwing up, walk on water moments because it means I'm getting to use my faith. I'm grateful for challenges in relationships because it means I have relationships worth fighting for. And I'm grateful for the alarm that went off very early this morning because it means God's trusted me with another day. I'm grateful. So what I know, family, is if we're going to navigate the journey that God's asking us to, we're going to have to build our strength, that physical and mental and spiritual strength. We're going to have to be a little tougher. And we're going to have to determine to be grateful. So I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you that just for your word, that it's always full of instruction and encouragement. And I thank you, God, that, that you wouldn't ask us to do something we couldn't. And so I thank you that we will be able to build the strength that's required to navigate the journey that you've trusted each one of us. And God, forgive us where we've been more complainers than grateful people. And God, we make the decision to be grateful. Now, if you'll just keep your eyes closed just for a second, giving everybody their own little moment. I don't know most of you in this room and I don't know what the spiritual condition of your life is like, but maybe there's some of you in here and you've never surrendered your heart to the love of God. You've never allowed his love to infiltrate who you are. And then maybe there's some of you in here and at one point you did, maybe at one point you were following Jesus, but if you were honest, you've grown a little cold in your heart, maybe a little cynical in your heart. Maybe like in that season that I was in, you were just sitting down and maybe now it's time to get back up and take one more step so I just want to pray for you so if you're in here and for the first time you're ready to surrender your heart to the love of God Jesus paid the price demonstrating his love for you you're ready for the first time or if you're ready to just get back up maybe you've been weighed down by just this hard season or challenges coming your way. And if you are honest, you're kind of on the fence. You're not really following Jesus. Then I want to pray for you. So I'm going to count to three and I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up and then put it back down just so I know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just want to pray for you. So if you're in here for the first time, you're saying yes to the love of God. Or if you're in here and you know it's time to get back up. You're in that season perhaps that I was. It's time to get back up and begin taking another step. Then I want to pray for you. Please put your hand up. One, two, three. That's great. I see hands over here and up there and over there, over there. Thank you. God, I see many hands and I thank you, God, that they're brave and humble enough to acknowledge their need for you. And I thank you, Father, that from this moment on, they will sense your presence and your peace and the courage to take that next step in the relationship with you. And I ask, God, that they would sense your favor and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.